This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Chris Sullivan and Colleen O'Brien. One of the happy consequences of classes being on Zoom is that we haven't had any school shootings. It's uh, an uncomfortable topic to talk about, and it's an even tougher topic to research because they are fortunately relatively infrequent. But there is some new research on it, and it comes from Hamlin University professor Dr. Jillian Peterson. What prompted you to take on this topic? Because typically people who study this take flack from the left and the right. I am a forensic psychologist by training, and I'm really interested in kind of the pathway to violence and how people get to the point of doing something like a mass shooting um, and, and understanding that pathway. That's how we kind of find different points to prevent these shootings from occurring. And when it comes to mass shootings, we tend to just think of perpetrators kind of as these outsiders, these monsters that come in and do these horrible things. And so the best we can do is practice run hiding and fighting and put up armed security. Um, But I'm really looking for, are there other prevention points along that pathway to violence that we can find? And one of the preventive choices has been school resource officers, to have armed school resource officers there. And that's what you studied specifically. So you covered, let's say you had 133 shootings. You had to go back, what, 40 years? Uh, Back to 1980? Yeah, so we... We wanted to look at 20 years before Columbine and 20 years after Columbine because the Columbine shooting was really a turning point in terms of school security and in terms of things like having armed school resources officers in the school. And so we wanted to look at kind of before that was commonplace and after commonplace and see what role or what influence did that school resource officer have in the number of people that were killed and injured in the shooting. And of course, the idea is that if the shooter knows that there's an armed resource officer nearby, he'll he'll think twice and won't do it. But you didn't find that, did you? No, that's what we expected to find. And of course, there's no way to measure the number of shootings that were deterred, right? The number of non-events that didn't happen. And so what we did look at is cases where either the perpetrator came in and shot more than one person or the perpetrator came in heavily armed with a plan of shooting multiple people, even if they didn't get to carry it out. Um, And we assumed that with a school resource officer on site that there would be fewer casualties, but we actually found the opposite and that having a school resource officer who was armed on the scene um, increased the rate of death by three. And it was actually the number one predictor of the number of casualties after assault rifles. Three times? Three, right. As, as in 300%? Right. Three times the number of people. Mm. Yep. But we are talking about relatively small numbers, right? We are talking about small numbers. Yes. Um, but we controlled for a number of different variables. So things like um, how big is the school to try to get at a number of things that we thought also might be influencing it. But no matter what we put in, we still saw an armed officer as being a really high predictor of the number of people who died. Now, I know that the response from the gun rights people is going to be, well, as you yourself pointed out, the shootings where the school resource officer was present might have been more deadly. But who's to say there wouldn't have been just a whole lot more shootings if there had been no armed school resource officer present. So what's the answer to that? Right. And we can't measure that. And so we've been thinking about how do we explain that relationship? And there's a few thoughts. I think the biggest one being is that we found that perpetrators of school shootings 
Um, 70% of them are current students of the school. 85% are either current or former students of the school. So these are students that are going in out of the school every day. They know the security procedures. They know that there's an officer there who's armed. Um, that might mean that they do a different level of planning. We also know that perpetrators of school shootings tend to be actively suicidal. And so we think that an armed officer would be a deterrent, but if you're actively suicidal and you plan to die in this act, then it actually might be an incentive to have someone on scene that's armed. Is that an assumption you're making, or were you able to determine that that, in fact, was what was going through the student's mind? Yeah, unfortunately, there's no way to really get at this for sure happened and this was causal. All we can say is that we know that they tend to be students of the school. We know that they tend to be suicidal. So that may have had an influence on what's happening with this relationship here. Okay, at some point, schools are going to reopen and it would be nice to have a solution to this problem before they do. So based on and this is not the only research you've done, what have you come up with in terms of what does work? I would say the best thing that I think we can do is build anonymous reporting systems. So we know that perpetrators tend to leak their plans to other people, typically their peers. And so having a way for students to report when they're concerned about a peer to a team that responds not with punishment, not with criminal charges, or not with suspending or expelling a student, but with really trying to recognize that that student's in crisis and connect them with resources. That's the main thing we see over and over again, is that perpetrators of shootings are showing these really clear signs of being in crisis in the weeks and days leading up to it. So the more we can do to recognize those signs of crisis and respond to it, the better. Do you think the gun itself is the problem? For school shooters, we know that the vast majority of them are getting their guns from family predominantly because they're not old enough to buy guns. And so when we talk about preventing school shootings in terms of guns, I think the number one policy implication we see is really pushing for safe storage. So really pushing families to have their weapons locked and secured so that the younger people in their household don't have access. Do you think, so that would, I guess, take the form of a law. The current push is on to uh, once again ban high-capacity magazines, possibly ban uh, semi-automatic assault weapons, whatever we're calling them these days. Uh, are you behind any of that stuff? Um, we have been gathering data. So we have a guns database that shows every gun that was used in a mass shooting, the type of gun it was, and how it was obtained and when it was obtained. And we built that database in the hopes that it would help add data to some of these conversations. So if there was an assault rifle ban, what impact would that have? Um, if we really pushed universal background checks, or if we talked about things like red flag laws, yeah. what impact would that have? And? What have you come to? The, what, what's your conclusion? Certainly, our research would support some of the common sense gun laws, things like red flag laws in particular, because we know that perpetrators are in crisis. Things like universal background checks, because we know that a lot of perpetrators slip through the cracks um, and probably should have been denied guns, but weren't. And then for the school shooters, really safe storage campaigns, which could be a law or it could just be kind of a communication from the school and sort of a public health campaign about the importance of safe storage. Mm -hmm. Teachers with guns? Yeah, I mean, this research that we just did, we talk about the weapons effect, which is when there's more weapons, um, there's more violence. And that's what we found in this study of armed officers. And so there's reason to think that that would be the same for armed teachers. Okay. Uh, 
gun-free zones. Are they effective? Just having the having the sign there. Um, for school shooters, because we know they're actively suicidal and they're very aware of what's happening at the school because there's students there, that's probably not going to be a deterrent. So it looks like it boils down to just getting to know every student and recognizing when something's going wrong in a kid's life. Absolutely. Um, I think the more that we push for kind of warm, welcoming environments where students have strong, healthy relationships with the adults, both in terms of noticing when a student is in crisis and also in terms of feeling comfortable reaching out to adults when they're worried about somebody. I mean, we have studied school shootings where 50 different students knew that it was going to happen and nobody reached out. And so I think working on those cultures and those relationships um, and building in infrastructure to respond to students that are in crisis is really key. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot of students returning to school who are in crisis and have really been through a lot in the past year. And so getting ready and prepared to how we respond to those students will be key. Yeah, you're right about that. We were already hearing about the effects that distance learning has had on, on kids. That the If a kid was alienated before, uh, it might be even worse now. Or, or in the, I mean, I can also see, though, since they haven't been in school, a lot of these kids are responding to bullying that there hasn't been as much bullying going on. Would that be a fair conclusion? Yeah, it could be. I mean, it's hard to know what impact this is going to have. A number of the risk factors are higher. So things like students spending more time online, potentially getting radicalized um, or being in chat rooms, um, feeling alienated or hopeless. And we know that gun sales are up. And so students just have more access. But then there's other things like this hasn't been in the news as much. Um, there's right things like bullying or problems that it could have been happening in school that students aren't experiencing. So it's really hard to predict how this is going to play out as schools reopen. Yeah. So uh, knowing the kids, uh, I guess counselors would, would play a, a big role in that. Uh, reporting what you know, uh, going to parents, making sure that if there are guns in the home that the uh, the kid doesn't get a hold of them. Um, what about kids who feel they have to arm themselves because they are afraid? Not that they're going to shoot up the school, right? But they feel they need to defend themselves because there are other kids who, who might shoot up the school. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of our response to school shootings has been, you know, let's protect ourselves. Let's figure out how we sort of turn off the lights and hide or let's practice running or let's increase security or let's carry weapons. And we've been doing that for the last 20 years or so. And what we've seen during that period of time is that school shootings are increasing with frequency um, and they're becoming more deadly. So I think that's what inspired us to really pause and take a look at what we're doing and what we could be doing differently. And what it keeps coming back to is this idea of sort of building relationships, looking out for students in crisis and having resources in place to intervene. Is there some reason why students are attracted to guns as a solution here? Because there are many, we have, we have counseling, as you point out, we have uh, teachers who can befriend students. Uh, There are parents at home. Did you find anything about uh, a kid's family life or anything else that would make someone think, you know, of all the solutions out there, a gun is the best one. 
we found this pathway to violence that was pretty common amongst mass shooters. And we found these kind of four key pieces, one being a history of trauma. And so a lot of perpetrators had a really significant childhood trauma history of abuse or neglect or parental suicide, really significant. Um, the second thing we saw is we call it kind of script or validation, whereas Perpetrators are feeling isolated and alone and angry and they have this grievance and then they're online looking for other people who feel the same way they do. Um, a lot of them, you know, idolize people like Columbine. They get involved in these chat rooms that tell them that violence is the correct answer. And so that is a key piece of this. The third piece we see is the student becomes in crisis. So the perpetrator hits a crisis point, something kind of pushes them over the edge and there's a noticeable change in their behavior. And typically they're becoming actively suicidal. And then the fourth piece is they have access to weapons and their chosen location. So childhood trauma, a parent who commits suicide, it would be nice to stop that, but there's always going to be kids who are, who are brought up in that environment. The chat rooms, we've tried to regulate the internet. It hasn't worked can you think of anything else that the wider society can do that would make it more difficult for for kids to feed that dysfunction before the you know the good guys the counselors can intervene you know we've been talking to people who have been looking at things like teaching social emotional learning in schools so just as we teach reading and writing teaching coping skills and uh, empathy and how to express feelings, particularly to young boys who may be going through trauma. How do we kind of give them tools and resources they need early on? Um, in terms of the script, I mean, we're starting to hold social media companies, I think, responsible for some of the rhetoric that happens on their platforms. But I think that conversation is just getting started. Um, in terms of the responsibility of social media companies for looking out for this. Um, and then I think just developing those strong relationships. You know, we've talked to perpetrators who changed their mind, who went to school with a gun and didn't end up doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and when we asked them, you know, why not? What happened? It was always a human connection, somebody who reached out and gave them hope in that moment and got them through that moment. And so I think the more we can do that for each other, the better. There you go. You mentioned uh, young boys because it's almost always boys. Why? It is. It's about nine. So in our recent study where we looked at those 133, it was 98% male. And that's similar when we look at all mass shooters. Um, all homicides are over 90% male. And I could teach a whole semester class on why that is. Right? There's all different. So some people think it's biological. Some people think it's socialized. Some people think it's role modeling and media. It's hard to say exactly why it is, but we do know it's a male phenomenon. I mean, we do see that a lot of the people who do this are looking up to the people who have done it before them. And so they tend to connect with people who have done this previously and want to be like that and emulate them. And they're looking for this notoriety that these other perpetrators got that they would like. Um, and so I think when it's it's male perpetrators looking at other male perpetrators and seeing themselves in them. I see. Now, there's another thing that the media could do something about is that, well, you can't not cover it, I suppose. But there there was for a while this campaign just not to use anybody's name. 
Yeah, and our research would really support that because we know that a lot of perpetrators are looking for notoriety in their death that they didn't have in their life. That seems to be a driving force for a number of perpetrators. And so the more we can do to not show their pictures, to not name their names, to talk about the victims, we can certainly cover the crime, but we don't need to dig around into the details of their lives and sort of put them on the front page. A legitimate use for cancel culture then, huh? Cancel the shooters? Yeah, I think that's right. Cancel the shooters. Dr. Jillian Peterson teaches at Hamlin University, St. Paul, Minnesota. Dr. Peterson, thanks very much. Thank you.